This is episode number 723 with Jerry Yurchison, data science strategist at Garobi. Today's episode is brought to you by the Zerve Data Science Dev Environment. By ODSC, the Open Data Science Conference. And by CloudWolf, the cloud skills platform. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast, the most listened to podcast in the data science industry. Each week, we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build a successful career in data science. I'm your host, John Crone. Thanks for joining me today. And now, let's make the complex simple. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast. Today's episode is a special one because it provided me with a powerful tool for solving data science problems that I personally hadn't encountered before, and that's mathematical optimization. Our guide for this journey is the optimization guru, Jerry Yurchison. Jerry works as a data science strategist at Garobi Optimization, a leading decision intelligence company that provides mathematical optimization solutions to the likes of Uber, Air France, and the National Football League. Previously, he spent eight years as a mathematical consultant, where he paired mathematical optimization with machine learning, statistics, and simulation to inform decision-making. He was also previously an instructor at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, where he obtained his master's in operations, research, and statistics. He holds an additional master's in applied math from Ohio University. Today's episode will probably appeal most to hands-on data science practitioners, such as data scientists and machine learning engineers. In this episode, Jerry details what mathematical optimization is and how it works. He provides lots of specific real-world examples where mathematical optimization is a better choice than a statistical or machine learning approach. And he provides his recommended resources for getting started with mathematical optimization in Python or whatever your preferred programming language is and how to get started on that today. All right, you ready for this wicked episode? Let's go. Jerry, welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. Awesome to have you on the show. Where are you calling in from today? Uh, I'm in uh, Vienna, Virginia, which is just outside of DC. All right. Um, that explains a lot of the uh, the government work you've done in the past. <laughs> yep, definitely. It's, uh, it's. I think it's a requirement to get into the area. <laughs> if, if you don't, then they kick you out. No, I'm joking. But, um, but uh, it's, it's definitely you run into a lot of uh, other people who worked in the same space. Yeah, can't hurt. Are you uh, in Vienna there? That's not a town that I've personally been to. Does it get jammed up like a lot of the traffic does around DC and Virginia? Oh yeah, it's it, it's absolutely horrible. Because um, not only like close to DC, but there's a lot of offices in McLean, um, a lot of headquarters there. And where I just happen to live now is on an intersection of like the two major streets. Uh, <laughs> so um, I have a two-year-old son and we just go and sit out in the, in the morning before I take him to school. Um, and he just laughs at all the cars and points and, and I laugh that, uh, since I get to work from home that I don't need to deal with that commute. So it, nice. uh, it, it works out well for, for both of us. Yeah, that works out perfectly for sure. Um, so we met at ODSC, the open data science conference West, um, a year ago. Uh, so it's always around Halloween. So I guess like circa Halloween, 2022, and if I remember correctly, I met you in a line to get drinks. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, holding on to tickets and grabbing more. Yeah, as, exactly. as we, yeah, um, yeah. It was a uh, great conversation, and we're able to sort of t- 
talk about how, you know, what I do and, and the Groby, the company I work for now, how we're sort of different um, from the rest of the uh, rest of the, the group there, last, last, uh, rest of the uh, exhibitors and a lot of people. Yeah. We're not typically, a, we're not really a data science company, but we, we do a lot with that can that, you know that helps with a, a lot of problem solving so um we're able to have a nice conversation about how that fits in to, yeah. to the science space exactly and so i'm super excited to dig into this today because i only have the vaguest understanding mm-hmm. of mathematical optimization and the kind of work that Groby does it is very closely related to what we typically call data science and it's solving similar kinds of problems and so I think this is going to be a really mind-expanding episode for people uh, to kind of get um, oriented to this completely other way of solving problems with data um, that could be really useful, um, tackling uh, problems that you know maybe they've encountered before and they've been like, damn, I wish I could <laughs> do something here. And uh, so mathematical optimization could provide another tool in their belt for that. Yeah, and that's the way that we describe it um, is... Uh, if you think about, you know, data science and machine learning in particular, uh, that's, you know, that, that's a hammer that could do a lot of things. Hammers are pretty useful, but sometimes you just need a screwdriver or you need, you need something else. You need a saw, um, to build a, you know, to build a house or to build whatever, or to solve whatever problem you need different tools. And sometimes, you know, you know, I, as a data, you know, data scientist or, you know, former practicing, I'm not doing it as much now. Um, but, uh, it's. It's great for a lot of stuff, but it's also not great for um, uh, other problems. And and sometimes you know you, you just you use the wrong tool for the wrong for the wrong job. And it, it's you know from a business perspective, you could be leaving money on the table or efficiency on the table. So it's just you know it's great to have a wide skill set, a wide knowledge base of, of ways to approach problems. And and that's sort of what my what my role is at Groby. Um, and yeah. that, that you know that develops from a lot of a big big wide background. For sure. Projects and education, all that stuff. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And so your title is data science strategist. So what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. So it's uh so at Groby, my my role is to essentially lead our strategy for taking mathematical optimization and introducing it to data scientists, introducing it to the broader AI community that may not be aware or uh, of mathematical optimization or um or just maybe have some some negative feelings toward it from what they've heard or, or some prior experiences. If you tried to dabble, um, you know, there's misconceptions out there. There's sort of old news out there that, that, that just gets sort of thrown around. Um, and, and my job is to help lead our, you know, lead our optimization company into the data science space. Um, so my, you know, I'm in charge of figuring out what topics to cover via webinars and trainings and, and, and work with the rest of my team to develop content and, and, and uh, you know, develop you know sort of sales strategies and all these sorts of ways to help get optimization uh, into the hands of data scientists. Perfect. So yeah, so let's get into that. Uh, we have tons of questions for you here. Mm-hmm. We're gonna kind of speak generally about mathematical optimization. Get into lots of specifics later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, to start, kind of big picture, how does Garobi solve complex problems with a mathematical solver? So like, what does that mean at a high level? Um, yeah. So, um, the, the key difference between sort of machine learning and, and optimization, mathematical optimization, particularly, um, is, is machine learning is great at, at, at thinking in a sense, 
and optimization is what you need to act. So it's more of a decision tool. It helps you, you know, um, dive through those very complicated, very monstrous um, uh, uh, decision problems as opposed to predicting things. Um, so we often call our, you fall under the category of prescriptive analytics uh, more so than, than anything else that, you know, that, that's our, you know, that, that's our main sort of label, I guess. Um, and the way that we talk about ourselves, we also sort of are, are talking how we fall under uh, decision intelligence as well. Cause that's a, that's the new buzz term uh, for, uh, for a lot of stuff uh, when it comes to decision-making in the business world and all that. So, so that's sort of where we fall in and how we sort of just like my immediate contrast to, to, um, to machine learning. And, and that's sort of one way that, 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 that we, uh, that we differ. Although there is definitely a lot of overlap and, and I'll probably dive into that a little bit more later. Yeah, for sure. And there's, there's interesting things like there are some areas of machine learning where people are trying to use machine learning to make decisions like reinforcement learning problems, for example, yeah. or kind of frame that way of like an agent taking actions in an environment. But that's like a very, <laughs> there's, in it requires a lot of development work to even kind of create an environment for like a reinforcement learning agent like that to explore. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, that can be like a, and, and it isn't the right kind of um, way of modeling decision-making for a huge array of problems that you can probably solve with your mathematical solvers. So um, yeah. as an example, uh, you have terms like linear programming, LP, and mixed integer linear programming, MILP. And so these are, these sound like they're pretty standard mathematical optimization terms. Yeah. Uh, but in data science, I don't, I, I don't know what these terms mean. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, essentially what a linear programming model is, um, is it's, and, and I'll sort of go through this by relating like, um, words or phrases in, in, in English to, and then to, to some math and then to a code to code that then, then uses, um, our solver. So, um, in a in a linear programming model, and and also in uh, MILP, which we also we also shorten it and get rid of the L, and we would just say MIP, or um, if you want to be hip to the lingo, we just say MIP. Um, <laughs> but um, essentially, you need to be able to take a take a business problem, a decision problem, and then translate it into the math, and then that math into code and, and everything like that. So. Um, what a linear programming model is, it, it starts with some, some basic building blocks. First is um, what we call decision variables. So these are the actual decisions that, um, that you'd be making if you were to sort of follow this prescription that, that the model will spit out at the end. So it could be things like the, um, do I wanna, uh, it could be the number of products to make of a certain, a certain type or the number of this type of product to ship from one location to another. Um, and it could, and then also um, things that are a little bit more complicated to uh, to talk about, which is, you know, do I want to open this warehouse? Do I want to create this shipping route? Do I want to um, offer this new product line? Sort of those are um, the the decisions that I talked about, at, you know, a few seconds ago. Those are called continuous decision variables. So you have, you know, any any number is possible from zero up. 
you know, they're typically always talk about things in our decision variables as, as non-negative numbers. Um, but like those other decisions that I was talking about, of do I want to open this, uh, this facility or this warehouse, or do I want to take this route? Those are binary decisions. So on off switches, yes, no's, um, zero, one. Um, and then we also have decision variables that are integer. Um, so if you're, say you're building airplanes, um, you can't really build a third of an airplane. <laughs> so you need to be either, you know, three, you know, four, five, six, seven, you need to have that, that integrality there. So, um, so those are the types of decision variables that, that you use in linear programming is when you have just purely continuous. And then um, in mixed integer programming is when you have a mixture of both. Um, and then IP is when the things are purely integer. Um, so that's one of the building, that's part of the building blocks. The next is taking those decision variables and formulating constraints. So if you're thinking about, you know, the shipping um, problem that I was just talking about, you know, maybe you have a, a, a limited number of trucks that you can use. That's a constraint. Or you have a limited budget that you can spend on, um, on, on travel or other things like that. You know, that implements a constraint. You can't just send, you know, every, you can't send 50 trucks to do something if you only have 10. So this is uh, adding in those constraints, make, you know, uh, make the, the business problem more realistic, make the, the, the modeling more realistic because it actually guarantees that these things are met. Um, and then the last building block is an objective function. So um, you take those decision variables again, and then you add in some parameters like costs or, you know, shipping times or, or things of that nature, just, um, you know, the, the data of the problem and, and uh, formulate this objective. So let's say I want to do all my shipping at minimal cost, or if you want to then uh, maybe integrate, you know, the, you know, um, the revenue that you would expect to sell at certain stores um, for, you know, given a certain line of products, um, which sounds like something you can definitely predict, <laughs> um, foreshadowing, um, but uh, <laughs> then, then you take those parameters and you multiply it by, you know, your decisions. And that sort of gives you one function that, that says, okay, this is my, this is going to be my profit, um, or this is going to be my, my revenue or my costs or my times to do stuff. And you, you, then you want to either maximize that or like minimize that. So you want to maximize your profit, minimize your costs or maximize efficiency or, you know, all, all sorts of things like that. You know, it doesn't always have to be, um, you know, based with, you know, money, um, but that's just typically how businesses work. You could be, you can have any type of, you know, uh, uh, function and, and you're trying to like either push that up as high as you can or bring it down as low as you possibly can. So, um, so sort of through all that, <laughs> that, uh, my spiel there is you're taking a business problem that someone tells you like, okay, I want to, I want to minimize my costs. And these are the things that I need to do. And, and here's my constraints and, and, and here's my end goal. Um, you take all of that stuff, you, uh, then write some math about it, write it in an algebraic form, which isn't always necessary, but highly, highly encouraged, um, because it, 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 it's, it really, um, helps with the transition to the code. And, and, uh, so then you take all that, you, you code it all up, you have like this awesome Python script or something like that, or you can use, you know, for, for us at Groby, we have a bunch of different ways that you can interact uh, with us. And then, and then once you get through all that, that's actually now is when you get to using Groby. We are essentially just the library that solves that. Mm -hmm. So once you have this, this problem in a, in a math, mathematical form and then in a code form, 
then you would call Garobi to do the really, really difficult work of actually finding that, that optimal solution. So, so that's how it sort of, the whole process sort of works. And actually, Garobi's at the very end where you, uh, you, you, you fire it up to actually solve the problem because you know, the algorithms, algorithms, the special sauce, I guess, to actually spit out the optimal solution. It's really, really hard to, you know, to do that. Um, it's a very difficult, if, if anyone out there is, is um, great with complexity theory um, and, and things like that, you can look up just exactly where um, integer programming falls under that. And it, it's, it's super, super hard uh, to solve. Tired of hearing about citizen data scientists fed up with enterprise salespeople peddling overpriced, mouse-driven data science tools? Have you ever wanted an application that lets you explore your data with code without having to switch environments from notebooks to IDEs? Want to use the cloud without having to become a DevOps engineer? Now you can have it all with Zurb, the world's first data science development environment that was designed for coders to do visual interactive data analysis and produce production-stable code. Start building in Zurb for free at Zurb.ai. That's Z-E-R-V-E dot A-I. Interesting. So yeah, okay, so let me try to say back to you what I've just learned. <laughs> um, so with mathematical optimization techniques, there three of the main kind of categories are linear programming, mixed integer linear programming, and integer programming. And so with that first one, with LP, we have um, some continuous outcome that we're predicting, like dollars. Um, and then with uh, mixed integer programming, MIP or MILP, <laughs> a model I'd like to program. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that. That is a great uh, <laughs> Um, so, uh, yeah, so MILPs are for, um, where you have a mixed outcome. So continuous and integer, um, outcomes and then, um, integer project programming IP is when you have a discrete outcome only. So this yep. could be something like, yeah, you give the example of number of planes, but anytime that there's like a discrete variable that you're predicting. Um, so that kind of gives you, yeah, these different categories and then, Within your individual problem, you need to define your constraints because we are talking about real business problems. And so in that case, there are going to be some real world constraints, like how much of the product you possibly could make. You gave the perfect, a perfect, easy to understand example there of you obviously you can't send 50 trucks to, uh, to solve a problem, <laughs> to, to optimize something, to optimize cost or revenues when you only have 10 trucks to work with. And then, uh, and then you also have to have some objective. And that's interesting because the objective is something that we do have in machine learning as well. So um, we often have a cost function that we're trying to minimize with approaches like supervised learning and unsupervised learning. And um, But in this case, the objective, it isn't that kind of, when it's a supervised learning problem or an unsupervised learning problem and we have that cost function, we are, it's kind of like an, it's an abstract quantity. Like that. Exactly. You know, you're not, you're trying to get that cost as close to zero as possible. But in this case, the objective, you know, if you're trying to minimize cost, that isn't some like arbitrary, that's not in some, yeah, in some arbitrary units that you're trying to get towards zero. That is dollars, right? 
Yeah, yeah it, exactly. And then, yeah, similarly, on the other side of things, you could also be trying to maximize something, which, again, I guess could be dollars, in this case, like revenue uh, or profits, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's typically where most of uh, any customer who you, any business that uses this type type of uh, modeling is is going to be, you know, you know, maximizing profits, minimizing costs, and, and things like that. It, it, that's that's just the number one, uh, you know, n- the number one type, you know, one unit, I guess, is is dollars. That's that's what it all comes down to in the end. All these business people and yeah, the exactly. dollars, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, pretty sensible. Uh, I think we often can agree that, uh, these concepts are important in business. Um, and then, so yeah, so then you can, so people can set that, those kinds of parameters up themselves. It sounds like a common way for people to do it. I guess, you know, especially if you're a data scientist, if you're listening to the show, you probably know Python. And so it would not be uncommon for you to set up all these kinds of parameters in your model with Python. Um, and, uh, it sounded like there were other th- ways we could do it and it would be interesting for you to kind of delve into that a little bit more, but, uh, just before you do that, I'll then say that then Groby is the thing that does the mathematical optimization on this, um, you know, we might even back <laughs> with TensorFlow 1.0, we often, we, we got used to talking about, um, the, the way that information flowed uh, in a machine learning problem is a graph. <laughs> yeah. And so it's kind of like what you end up doing here is you, you use some Python code, for example, to set up like this computational graph of what the objective is, what the constraints are, what kind of model it is. And so you're kind of, um, you're, you're showing like all the possible, <laughs> ways like that the, that the model could be set up with like but then it's the parameters it's the parameters in that model that need to be identified and yeah. and so it's like so in machine learning we're typically using gradient descent um but it sounds like for these kinds of mathematical optimization problems um there yeah that's not going to work and and actually maybe could you like kind of uh is is there some kind of easy way to explain why you wouldn't be able to use gradient descent in in a common kind of situation that you encounter, and why you would need to use a Groby solver instead. Yeah. So um, one of the benefits of using mathematical optimization is it it, it guarantees two things. Um, one is it guarantees that what we call feasibility is that when you set up all of your constraints and you have your decision variables and you have all this sort of stuff and you uh, and you and, and you click go that you're guaranteed that all of your constraints will be satisfied. And, and the number two thing that you're guaranteed is global optimality. And that's something where methods like gradient descent and, and all these other things. They can just get stuck in a local minimum. Perfect. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, um, so, so having that, that global optimal solution is, is something that is um, unique to mathematical optimization. It's not a heuristic method, as we call it, you know, something that is a really good approach, but you may not get the, the actual optimal solution, you know, with, with, you know, you know, minimizing your cost function, you, you, you know, you could probably set up ways to get, you know, get tweak it, just, you know, get a little bit better performance and, and, but by and large, 
things are good enough. You know, when, you know, simple, sim more simpler algorithms to solve those things are good enough for you. You don't want to spend years, you know, trying to, to tweak it so that, that, that you get that little bit, you know, but in, in a lot of business sense, again, you don't want to leave money on the table. And if you can cut like fuel costs, if you're a big company, you can, and you could, can cut uh, fuel costs by 1%, that's huge, you know? So, so um, th that's a couple of the um, advantages of, of uh, using, uh, you know, mathematical optimization. And I would say that, that the feasibility one that I mentioned is shouldn't be overlooked because nothing would be worse than like going to like your boss or, or somebody and be like, all right, here's how you should do this. Um, and then all of a sudden you just run out of resources, you run out of money or you run out of people, you run out of something and they look at you and they're like, wait, 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 I thought you said this was, this was doable. Um, so, so those are like two of the main reasons why mathematical optimization is, is super powerful is because it guarantees those things. Um, and if if you do violate the constraints, or um, or if if uh, those constraints need to be violated, then the first thing you're going to see is, hey, from Groby or any other solvers, hey, your model is infeasible, and you're like, okay, well, maybe I. It, it could just be that you know the the you know the recipe that I set for this problem just doesn't work, um, or maybe you had a coding error or something was wrong. But you know it, that's that that's a possible outcome, and then you sort of dive back in and figure it out. But once you do get an answer, then you know those two things are are true. That's feasible and globally optimal. And the global optimal thing I want to emphasize is really important because you can go into a um, you know a meeting with with you know some people about okay, here's how I want to solve this problem, and then you can in you know in words describe describe the constraints. In words, you can describe the objective. You can describe the decisions that you're making. And if you get a thumbs up from anybody like, yep, that's exactly what our problem is. And you take this modeling approach and you get the solution that you get, you have the confidence to say, there, there does not exist a better solution. There may be some other solutions that are just as good and we can dive into those, um, but you don't have, you, you, there, there does not exist anything that is better. And that's a real powerful thing to be able to say. Um, and, and have that confidence in, uh, when it comes to making, you know, decisions. That's really cool, man. The, in my head, I've been kind of, uh, imagining as you've been talking, I've been thinking about, um, with, with like a really simple, um, regression model where, um, you have just one, uh, input variable into the model. Um, so this is like, this is described by Y equals MX plus B, like the simplest mm -hmm. line equation. Um, if you plot a, if you plot a, you know, some, some data points and you're trying to like solve with that very simple linear equation, Y equals MX plus B, instead of using stochastic gradient descent, you can confirm without beyond the shadow of a doubt, you can use a mathematical approach very straightforwardly. And it's something that we've been doing in statistics for a century. You can, mm -hmm. you can try out, you know, <laughs> all the possibilities and confirm for yourself for sure in that very simple problem, Y equals MX plus B, that you, you, you have absolutely the best um, possible line of fit to those data points. Um, and you're going to get exactly the same result every single time you do it because it's, it's just math. It's not, <laughs> yeah, there's, exactly. no, yeah. there's no stochasticity, there's no sampling. Um, you're just always going to converge on an exact right answer for how that line should fit the data. And 
in machine learning problems, we end up having some combination of too many data points or too many parameters in our model to be able to use that kind of approach where you try out all of the possibilities and see where the global optimum is. It's just, it's technically impossible, like supercomputer running for a century or whatever kind of scenario. Um, and so instead with machine learning, we use stochastic gradient descent to sample um, in a compute efficient way, in a memory efficient way, in order to try to hopefully find what we think is the global minimum um, or the global maximum uh, in like a reinforcement learning problem. But, um, but yeah, there's all kinds of assumptions being built in. And so this is a really cool conversation that we're having. And this is, this is eye-opening to me. This is, this is something that I didn't know before. <laughs> what you've been talking about here, where we can be uh, using these kinds of techniques like linear programming, mixed integer linear programming, um, and integer programming with a solver like a Roby solver and yeah, have feasibility be guaranteed and have a global optimal solution be guaranteed. So to what extent are you able to tell us, are you able to tell us anything about how the solver works? Like, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I can give um, a, a sort of a high level overview of, of how linear programming works and how linear programming works with integer programming and mixed integer programming. So. Um, the, the most common form of, uh, of a problem, when you set up all the constraints, um, and if all your constraints are sort of linear functions, um, let's, let's make that, that, that quick assumption. And if they're not, there are ways to make it, and, and so we can get to that. And, and so all of your constraints are linear functions, and your objective is, is a linear function. Um, and you want all of your variables to be non-negative because that's the, that's also another um, uh, assumption of linear programming. Although again, if you need to violate that, there's things that you can do to 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 uh, to get around it. Um, if you have all those um, components, then uh, what 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 comes out of that is what we call a convex problem. And essentially, a convex problem or a convex set. Is take any two data any two points in that set, and you can draw a line that that connects them, and that line stays within the set. That's a super um, uh, quick definition of a, of, of convexity. Um, so most linear programs, or or by definition, linear programs are that you know so everything's linear, and you have this convex set. So that is actually super easy to solve. And the way that and well, there's a, a couple methods, but I'll describe the the earliest uh, method. This was sort of in the 30s and 40s that, that, that this uh, came about, or I guess, sorry, more in the 40s. Um, it's called the simplex method. And essentially what that does is when you have all these linear things, if you think sort of think about a two-dimensional, three-dimensional space, you have all these linear in, linear inequalities um, that, that, that make up constraints. Um, they form, um, you know, if you think of it in 3D space, they form, uh, form like a, a cube or some three-dimensional figure. Um, that, you know, the number of faces is, is essentially the number of constraints and stuff like that. What the simplex method does is it finds one corner of that, uh, of that geometric figure and then smartly goes around point by point to each area where these things sort of in, uh, intersect. And there's smart ways of doing that. Um, and then it sort of goes and, you know, figures that out and goes from point to point to point 
in a, in a smart way. Um, and then eventually it'll get to a point where it, it looks at um, a, a you know, specific value that, that is calculated within, within this method. And then you're like, oh, based off of some theory that, that was developed, when I'm at this point because of these values or this particular value, I gar- I'm guaranteed to be at that optimal solution. So that's how linear programming works. Is it just it's based off of a lot of mathematical theory of of what that optimal solution looks like, and that when this condition happens, you know that 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 you're at an uh, uh, an optimal you know that you're at an optimal solution. Yeah, so, that, that was just to interject quickly. That was a really cool visual explanation of how that works. And okay. yeah, I, yeah, yeah, nice, nice, nice. Right. Uh, so then, once you have that that linear programming solution. And this is actually something that's solved very, very fast. Um, when you get into the mixed integer world, then that's when things get a lot more complicated because essentially now you need to solve thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of these linear programs. So a mixed integer programming, um, one of the, the, um, the main approaches is what we call branch and bound. So let's say you have a variable X that is in your linear program solution is 3.2. And we want it to be three or four. It needs to be integer. Um, Then essentially it'll split on the cases of, okay, well, let's say X is, let's assume X is three, and then let's assume X is four, and then keep going and then solve more linear programs until you get to a point where all of your decision variables that need to be integers are integers. So you just keep, splitting and like okay well this one is is not integer so if it's like a binary variable where things are off or on um it's 0.4 let's split let's assume zero let's assume one and then keep going so it's just you're just solving a bunch of those until you get to a point again where some math says hey this is your optimal um solution and and there's more math behind it that tells you which way to go and, and a whole bunch of stuff behind it. So um, so you see why this is complex, because I've said the word, you got to use a bunch of math a bunch of times. And, you know, this <laughs> is, it's very theoretically based and and um, and ways to do this smartly and, and how to it is it is very, very complicated, um, which is sort of why mathematical optimization is is, you know, the, the value of mathematical optimization is in this is in the solver. It, to be able to do this efficiently and, and come up with the, the right way to approach it, to solve these things and, and sort of be able to cut corners when possible and to, to, you know, to, to do all these things smartly is a very sort of I don't know, intensive task from, you know, from a, a theoretical perspective. Um, so th- th- that, that's, where, that's why solvers are so important in these problems um, is, is because that's, that's the important part. It is easy to do that translation that I was talking about from words to, to, to the math, to the code. I mean, that's easy. Um, it's not easy, but it, it's much easier than the solving part. So you know, that, that's why you know, solvers like Kurobi are, are, are super important. Be where our data-centric future comes to life at ODSC West 2023 from October 30th to November 2nd. Join thousands of experts and professionals in person or virtually as they all converge and learn the latest in deep learning, large language models, natural language processing, generative AI, and other topics driving our dynamic field. Network with fellow AI pros, invest in yourself in their wide range of training, talks, and workshops, and unleash your potential at the leading machine learning conference. 
Open data science conferences are often the highlight of my year. I always have an incredible time. We've filmed many super data science episodes there, and now you can use the code SUPER at checkout, and you'll get an additional 15% off your pass at odsc.com. Nice. Uh, yeah, great explanations of that. And yeah, I think I'm, I'm grasping the kind of the keystrokes here now. Yeah. Um, so when... A, when a listener wants to be able to to use Garobi, you know, you mentioned that we could use Python to mm -hmm. set up um, the parameters, including our constraints, our objective. Um, so two things. First, like maybe with the Python example, just kind of give us a sense of the of, of how to do that, like like what it's like step by step. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, and then I guess as a follow up, if it, if it feels right, is other than Python, what are other ways that we could be doing it? And are there pros and cons of doing it some other way? Okay, yeah. Um, so I'll answer the second one first because I forgot it before. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm, an, I'm an avid R user. Uh, I love R. Um, my background is more statistics than, than other things. Um, so I like using R, so you can use R. But you know, C, um, Java, um, you can call our solver from MATLAB. Um, Pretty much any way anyone codes nowadays, uh, we we have an API that uh, that that can work. Um, we even have a command line interface that if you just want to you know use Groby from our our command line, you can. Uh, not the best way to go about it, but you know um, uh, definitely definitely an option. Um, so doing it from like. Um, from Python, um, we have uh, our, our Python API called GrovyPy. And uh, it's the, the, essentially the way to use that is there are functions that that essentially once you it once you sort of see the 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 problem in like an algebraic form where you know if you were to let's say I wanted to minimize my you know the cost of shipping. Um, so you essentially have your your cost parameter and then for shipping from location A to B, and then you have your decision variable of the amount I'm going to ship from A to B or am I going to ship from A, from A to B. Um, and then your total cost would be the sum over all possible, you know, all of your decision variables and all their costs. So that's what an, uh, an objective function sort of looks like. But that's also sort of what constraints look like. They're this linear equation. Uh, the 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 objective is a linear um, expression, and the the um, uh, constraints are a a linear inequality. So you so essentially, if you think about you know this quantity, you know this quantity times this quantity plus this quantity times this quantity plus so on and so forth down the line, um, you could write that algebraically, um, and then. When you look at the code to actually transform that into the code, it's very, very, you know, similar. We have we have some functionality that that helps with like the summations and stuff like that. But essentially, it's you know the sum uh, of you know uh, decision variable times this, you know, it must be less than or equal to some value, you know, b or something like that for your budget, and and that's all it really takes to be able to code it up is is just understanding a little bit of the syntax. Um, being able to declare your variables, which are very, very easy. You say, I want my variable X. You say X equals, um, uh, you have to have created a model object, which is 
again, just one line. And you say, I want to add variables to this model. And if you have 100 of them, you can just say range 100. And then there you go. You have 100 decision variables ready to go. Um, if they are sort of dual indexed, like location A to location B, then you can say, I want to add vars, which is the that that's the you know the the code that you would actually type in, um, and then you know uh, range ten by range twenty or something like that, and that's as simple as it gets. If you want to then make them binary, then you just there's a little thing that says I want to declare them to be binary, and then poof you're done. You know that, that, that's all it takes. Um, all that other stuff about incorporating you know sort of the integrality and everything you don't and telling it telling Garobi or other solvers to okay you need to. This is a, you know, this is a, has binary variables. You need to be able to understand a split on them and, you know, do branch and bound and do other things that are, 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 are part of that. You don't need to do that. It just sort of automatically knows once you make those uh, declarations. So um, that's why I, I really think like that, that way of approaching it of like understanding your business problem in words to algebra to code is, is a really good way to, to sort of follow through with it because it all makes sense from one step to the next. If you went from, you know, someone speaking it to the code, then you may get like, uh, there's a lost connection there. Um, so that's why that sort of three-step process is, is uh, yeah. something I suggest. And there's, so one of the steps in there from words to algebra to code, uh, that algebra step sounds like it could be potentially intimidating. <laughs> uh, so like, are there like resources for people that Garobi provides or you can find elsewhere? That kind of um, that help you figure out how to get the words to algebra. Yeah. Um, so, and um, this is one thing that I think is a reason why um, mathematical optimization hasn't taken off as as much as it has. Um, there is like this sort of s stigma, um, I guess, as you can call you might call it, um, for for sort of gatekeeping in a sense, um, and it's unintentional, but it's but it's there. Um, you know, there's a stigma that that you have to have like a, a PhD in operations research to be able to utilize mathematical optimization. It, it, it certainly helps. Um, having a, a PhD in any topic helps you with that topic. Um, I, th I think we can all agree to that. Um, so, um, but so people think that you need to have that. So that's the only type of people to get these roles. The only type of people who um, talk to each other about it. So the, there's this this very math heavy sort of uh, uh, lingo that has been developed. And, and if you were to sort of say, okay, I want uh, to learn more about this, you're gonna be smacked in the face with, with math right away. Um, and you're gonna be seeing symbols and notation that you probably don't understand. Um, you know, I said, oh yeah, your, your decision variables have to be non-negative. Everyone sort of understands that verbiage, but when you see, you know, X in the set of positive real numbers, which is, you know, X, um, you know, sort of pitchfork symbol with three prongs, a weird, funny looking R and bold face scripty type stuff with the plus sign next to it. That's what you'll see. And you'll be like, all right, I don't know what's going on anymore. I'm lost. This, you know, may, this isn't for me. Um, but when I say X not negative, oh, okay. Yeah, I get it. It, it could be zero or positive. Perfect. So, um, so that was sort of, one of the reasons why we think that mathematical optimization is, is not as popular as it should be is because you get hit with that really fast. Um, so that's one of the things that, that and particularly per, for my role at, at, at Groby is how can we lower that 
that that barrier to entry. You know, not everyone has a, an exceptional mathematical background, and some people may not even have, have any math background. And which is one of the what well, was one of the real awesome things about the sort of data science explosion was that anyone can do it. Really, you just needed to learn to code. You didn't need to understand the mathematics behind it. You just say, "Oh, I want to cluster this, and here's some of the things," and then boom, you know how all that stuff worked under the hood, you didn't have to worry about. Um, but when you see a lot of optimization stuff out in the wild, uh, and, you know, stack overflows and everything, you're just hitting to, you, you just get, yeah, I get smacked with math. Um, so what, what we try and do is, okay, we don't need to use all of the notation. We don't need to um, uh, have all that formality that, that you'll see out there. Um, all the mathematical formality. So we try and lower that and then sort of introduce those concepts sort of step by step. Um, so you do get eventually uh, used to the the more complex sort of um, notation that you'll see. Um, and and it really helps people understand what's going on um, and really then, then makes it easier to get started. Nice. And then so part of your role as a data science strategist is creating these training materials, right? Yeah, yeah, and um, I would say our our easiest to access is we, we have a library of of um, Jupyter notebooks that um, a lot of them were made before I got there, and, and they're made for sort of the more um, OR operations research audience. So they do have a little bit of intense notation and and things like that. But um, we've started releasing these notebooks that are made for more the data science crowd. So it helps with the, the story development um, is, is a little bit more important. The notation is reduced, um, notations explained, um, and it, it, we just make it a lot easier to sort of read through the problem and you'll see, okay, here's the statement of, of um, my objective that I want to minimize. I want to minimize my costs. And, um, and then the next thing that you'll see is the cell to code that up. Um, Oh, sorry, the next thing you'll see is the math, a little bit of math, sometimes dumbed down a little bit. Oh, dumbed down is kind of a, not the right word, but simplified. <laughs> um, and then you'll see the math simplified. And then, the, and then the next cell, you'll see how to code that up. So it's all right there. It's like, here's the, here's the language. Here's the math, um, in, often in simplified terms. And then here's the code to do it. So it's really easy to see these, these things next to each other. Because um, that's, that's the important part is be able to take the business problem, take the problem you're trying to solve. Um, and and uh, and eventually code it up to get to to the optimal solution. Data science and machine learning jobs increasingly demand cloud skills, with over 30% of job postings listing cloud skills as a requirement today, and that percentage set to continue growing. Thankfully, Kirill and Atlan, who have taught machine learning to millions of students, have now launched CloudWolf to efficiently provide you with the essential cloud computing skills. With CloudWolf, commit just 30 minutes a day for 30 days and you can obtain your official AWS certification badge. Secure your career's future. Join now at cloudwolf.com slash SDS for a whopping 30% membership discount. Again, that's cloudwolf.com slash SDS to start your cloud journey today. Very cool, very exciting. We probably have a lot of listeners who are licking their chops. Uh, <laughs> getting ready to tackle those Jupyter notebooks. Because yeah, that sounds really fascinating. I mean, everything you've talked about in this episode so far, almost all of it has been completely brand new information to me. And so you're like, you're opening up this whole new world of possibility to me. And it's exciting to know 
that, uh, yeah, even though I don't know the pitchfork symbol all that well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just those simple things. And, um, and it's, it was just the way that the people who knew, who, who know mathematical optimization, it's, it's the simplest form of communication. It, it is, you know, the, the plus to understanding all that notation is I can give, I can give you my model and we don't even have to speak the same language, <laughs> like verbally, and you'll be able to understand what I'm saying, what my model is. And, and so it is a, you know, mathematics is a, is a universal language. Um, so that's why, you know, it, it enabled to collaborate. It, that, that's why it's done. So it makes sense why it all happened, but then it's just sort of put up this barrier, uh, which is, which is kind of sad, but, uh, but yeah, I think we're working through it. And, you know, other things that we offer lots of webinars. Um, I did a two half day training, um, for data scientists, for data scientists that really, um, free to, um, uh, that, that really sort of talked about all of these bits and pieces, how to get started, what the notation means when you need it, when you don't need it. Um, so, so yeah, we're definitely, um, really trying to expand to this audience because data scientists are, are right next to the decision makers, you know, people who, who are, are eventually sort of making decisions based off of your forecast, off of your, your models, you're right next to them. So, why not be able to help inform that and drive that with with uh, you know, a solution that talks about all the fun stuff that I mentioned before? Very cool, Jerry. Yep. Uh, so we'll be sure to include links to those resources, the notebooks, as well as these two half day trainings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People can't make a full day, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that'll be exciting. And um, so you've given us a sense in terms of like the broad strokes of the kinds of problems that we might want to be solving with this um, without getting into anything proprietary. And so like, I know, for example, that 80% of America's largest listed corporations use Garobi, which is like a wild thing that like this, this yeah. mathematical solver, um, it's like, <laughs> it has like the kind of dominance that Google has in search for mathematical optimization solvers. Yeah. Uh, where it's just like, it seems like, you know, the, the biggest corporations are just like, this is obviously what we should be using here. Yeah. And um, uh, what I'll say is, is like the, the use of a solver particularly is, tends to be hidden, like well beneath the layers of, of, of some problem solving tool or, or something along those lines. And it, it's just, it, it's so, it's so not top of mind, but it is the, we describe it as Groby and solvers as the engine to a car. You know, it is, you know, a small piece, smallish piece of, of the whole puzzle of, of, a, of a car, but I'd say it's probably the most important. <laughs> uh, you're not going to be going anywhere at, at any speeds in a car without, without an engine. So that's how we like to describe our role in that. And um, so I'll, I'll, one sort of, uh, case study that we have that we that I like to um, put out there. Um, and this sort of it shows the the, you know, the power of optimization. And also, again, you, you don't see this in, in, in the ad that I'm going to talk about. Um, but uh, Groby, the Roby solver is used um, in NFL scheduling. So the way that they, you know, they used to create the NFL schedule literally on a board. And they would like, you see a commercial and they have like little tags and they flip them back and forth. And they're like, okay, I think we're good. You know, this makes, this makes sense to us and we're all happy. So we do, you know, lock ourselves in, in a room for, I think they were saying weeks or months or something like that. And then they would do all this by hand. 
and then come up with the schedule. Uh, now they use the Groby solver and you, there's a lot of time and effort to, to, to model the problem correctly, to take all of the, you know, the constraints that people are saying that need to happen, put them into algebra and put that into code. Definitely a heavy lift, but then you just update the data that you use in, in to up, you know, the parameters, you know, the you know, expected eyes on TVs or something like that. Um, and then you just rerun and you can, and then you can run this over a bunch of different scenarios. And then you can look at, at solutions that are either optimal or near optimal. And then, and then you, you've gone from, you know, doing this, audio listeners, I'm licking my finger and sticking it into the air. Like, okay, this one seems good to be able to like, then be able to look at the solutions that really, really matter. Um, and uh, recently I've seen, you know, if anyone watches, uh, I watch a lot of NFL um, on uh, like red zone and, and uh, you know, games on, on uh, like, like that out of market stuff. Um, and there's a commercial from Amazon. And the first part of it, it's all about how they use AI to, to do awesome stuff. And the first part of it is they talk about the scheduling. And like, yeah, like we could now look through trillions of combinations, which when they say trillions, that's a severe understatement. If we said more than that, or if they said more than that, pardon me, um, people would just be like, that's complete BS. Um, but um, but it is more than that. And But there's zero mention of mathematical optimization. There's zero mention of optimization. There's zero mention of Garobi. It's just that we did this. Um, and, um, it's an AWS commercial, but, um, so that is sort of showing, um, uh, how it gets sort of under, uh, under, under recognized, um, uh, which again, sort of goes to the point I was making before. So, um, right. so, so that's one, but we have, we claim 40 other, you know, over 40 industries use us, use us specifically, even more are using, um, optimization as a whole so it is everywhere um you just don't know about it because it's typically buried yeah this is wild man i mean it's i hope that this is as eye-opening for so many of our listeners as it is for me because it is clear that there is a very useful screwdriver <laughs> as you <laughs> exactly. where like you know we've been using hammers for so many different problems and this is like this is awesome i really appreciate you taking the time to do this and uh yeah fill us in on the amazing things we can be doing with mathematical optimization yeah. So, um, yeah, to get into some more like kinds of specific examples um, of situations that um, you might want to use mathematical optimization, um, you know, instead of machine learning or maybe in combination, because um, that would also be an interesting thing is like if there's actually is that something that you can maybe answer like right away is are there situations where you might want to use both a mathematical optimizer and machine learning together? Yeah, um, I mean, there's uh three ways that that we sort of view the uh, the relationship between machine learning and, and optimization. One is um, all of those costs, time, travel times that you know that we're talking about, all of those parameters, the best way to understand those or to know what those are is through machine learning, is through taking all of your data and coming up with those point estimates for all of those things. And the best, yeah, the best way to do that is is all of the awesome machine learning tools that we have available to us, um, and then taking those those predictions. So thinking like a demand forecast for your products in certain locations, I could say I have a pair of shoes, you know, that is going to be very popular here, maybe not so much popular here, um, and things like that. Um, that is, you know, building building out those those numerical forecasts. Okay, great. 
Um, but then when it comes to the to acting on that and deciding, okay, here's how I should produce them. Here's the, you know, here's where I should acquire the, you know, the bits and pieces to make them. And then here's the, the number that I should take from this production facility to this warehouse and this warehouse to this store, you know, and, and all of those other combinations of things, that's, that's where mathematical optimization shines is because you can then define all of those decisions um, very explicitly. The number of the number of sh uh, shoes I'm going to produce of this type at this facility, and then ship them to this warehouse, and then this warehouse should then distribute them to these stores. You know, you can have decision variables that that, that talk about all of that, um, and then you fill in your constraints and say, okay, well, you know, the number, you know, I only have this much of this, you know, this much budget to buy a certain, you know, certain um, uh, things to manufacture the shoes, so. Um, so there's my, there's some of my limitations right there, or again, like going back to the trucks thing, I only have a certain amount of trucks or a certain amount of drivers or, or, or things like that, you know, that, that have all these business roles into them, which are all of your constraints. So, um, so yeah, th that's, I mean, that, that's essentially the, you know, the, the, one of the main differences is again, thinking and acting, um, the, the, the machine learning helps you think about where your demand is going to be hottest of what types. But then actually acting on it is just something that it, it, machine learning doesn't do well, um, because it's, part of it is machine learning. You need to have seen, you know, the, 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 you need to have previously seen the outcome for it to be in your data set. Um, and, and that's just not the right way of thinking about this. You need to explore all possibilities. And that's what mathematical optimization and a solver does is it helps you explore that, that, that um, 3D you know, figure, helps you explore all of those you know, possible solutions. Um, and again, it, it, it's just, you know, different tools solving different problems, but one way that they can work together is like that. Um, the second way is, as you mentioned at the, you know, sort of at the very beginning, um, is that, that actually, you know, machine learning problems are optimization problems. You are minimizing a cost function. So you can formulate problems like that. And, and regression is one example. Um, and actually we have a couple notebook examples um, one is using mathematical optimization to switch up your objective. Your objective of linear regression is, you know, minimizing the some of the squared errors. Um, what if you wanted to do absolute error? Like, oh, okay. Well, there's there's no there's no calculus to help you there um, or anything like that. So, so you could then model that in a in a uh, an optimization uh, problem. And then also maybe guarantee other things like, hey, I want this set of of of, of uh, regression coefficients to make sure that they're non-decreasing because it may make sense for you know for this tier of product or something or you know and then you know I want my beta one to be uh, less than beta two, less than beta three, so on. So, you know that's something that you can't do as well in uh, with machine learning, at least not very directly. You'd have to maybe add some stuff. Um, and then another example is um, feature selection. We have an example that um, treats you know, features um, sort of as binary variables in a sense. Um, do I want to include them? Yes. You know, is that value one or no? Is it zero? Um, so on off switch to, you know, it, it, to help you figure out what's the best subset of, of features if you want to you know, only include a certain number or, or something like that. So, um, that's another way that that optimization can be 
uh, used with machine learning. And there's also optimal decision trees and stuff like that. So there's a whole bunch of ways to go about it. The third way um, is um, sort of the other way around is embedding. And this is something that, that we recently released um, an open source package for, which is I'm, I'm super excited uh, about this, is um, taking a trained regression model, something in, in you know, scikit-learn or, um, or XGBoost, and embedding that into a larger optimization model. So if you have that sort of price-demand relationship, then you can use that, you can use XGBoost to, to train that, that relationship of if, you know, in this area with these other things, if I set my price to be this, my demand, I'm expecting my demand to be that. You can directly embed that into a larger optimization model that takes into consideration like your whole supply chain as well. So um, it's a really cool way to, uh, to, to leverage mathematical optimization with, um, uh, with machine learning. Very, very nice. Great examples there. It's nice to have three ways that we can relate machine learning to mathematical optimization. That's perfect. Um, so yeah, I wasn't sure if there was going to be an answer to that question. <laughs> and so, I was yeah. prepared for that. <laughs> um, and so another area of machine learning today that is obviously super popular is natural language processing with things like large language models. Um, can mathematical optimization be used in NLP applications? Like uh, um, our researcher Surge pulled up that you've previously discussed how linear programming could be used to catch plagiarism, for example. Yeah, this was um, a, a super fun example to, to, uh, to work on and um, have to give a lot of credit to um, an, uh, an, an intern that was more than an intern, uh, Rahul Swami, um, who what uh, was with us for a while um, and he, he he and I worked together on this and yeah it's essentially um, you know plagiarism is based off of one essentially one thing is I'm going to use words that are similar to yours change things up a little bit and essentially just copy your work but make it a little bit just enough different to where a trained eye even might not be able to to recognize it so so that example that we that, that we created was um, uh, using uh, is using Google's uh, Word Mover Score, which essentially is you know a, a model that you know we don't use that model at all. We just use the output. So this is sort of like the the, the first way I was talking about how uh, ML and optimization can work together. Um, uses that to um, to then take two passages or two you know chunks of text and uses that score to help identify it. Uh, when you set up the the linear program, um, you want to essentially minimize that overall distance. So it sort of shows you how close this one document or passage is to this other document or passage. And uh, for, for that, the the objective, although it's 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 minimizing this difference, the units you know is sort of arbitrary. It doesn't make too much sense. But it could you know you'd have to set some threshold yourself. But yeah, you can do that and say I have this document, I have that document. Um, you're sort of setting it up at, at what we call a transportation flow problem, or or just like a a, a min a min cost flow, which is a, um, a a common archetype of problem in in, op, in optimization. Um, but you set it up like you know in, in that sense, and if you get a score that's low enough, you feel that's low enough, um, then then yeah, it'll say hey, then you can say hey, this is this may be plagiarism here, 
Um, so, um, yeah, it's a really cool way of, of using a, a very common type of, of mathematical optimization sort of formulation. You know, there's a lot of sort of, uh, sort of canned examples out there, but applying it in a new sense to help you really uh, do something completely new. Nice. I love that. Thank you for digging into that specific example for us. And yeah, it helps crystallize uh, what, what mathematical optimization is and how we can use it with machine learning to be even more powerful, even more widely useful. All right. So uh, beyond your work at Garobi, you also, you, you do a lot with sports and math yourself. So uh, you, uh, for example, you call uh, your Math with Jerome website, it says that it's at the center of the Venn diagram for math, sports, and fun. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then a little bit less, I don't know, it's still PG, but I guess a little bit more an adult way of you describing it is that on your website, you say that you have two passions in life, sports and math, but that you probably should list beer in that group. <laughs> uh, and so typically you use beer as an excuse to discuss the other two passions, sports and math. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so we can pretend that we're having a beer here. <laughs> um, actually, first of all, this is the most important question in the episode. What kind of beer do you like? Um, I'll give my top two. One is Guinness. Um, and number two is like sort of an old college favorite, um, PBR. Oh yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Real classy taste. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of dark beers like uh, like the Guinness uh, for sure. Um, nice. So yeah, I'm imagining right now. <laughs> I had a I was out for a few drinks last night, and so I'm gonna just I'm fantasizing right now that I'm having a kind of hair of the dog getting over that. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so let's discuss math and sports together. Uh, what are some of the fun ways? of applying math to sports, Jerry? So um, I, on, on the website that I, that I have, which I haven't been as active on lately as, as I've, I've been, and I'll get into that um, in a minute. Um, but I mean, it, understanding, you know, sort of what works in sports is, is all about, if you can predict the future, um, then you'll be able to make a lot of really good decisions and I sort of teed it up that way, I guess, just of, that's just how I normally talk now, given given my role and everything. But um, yeah, pre predicting player outputs, um, understanding things like you know um, injury likelihoods, um, what are safer ways to play sports. Um, those are a, a lot of interesting questions um, that that you know you, you see so many commercials about it now, like um, you know uh, win probability and, um, and 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 things like that. Um, it, it's it's, it's all over the place. Um, and it's really awesome for me to see that. And, and ways that I've tried to, to approach that is to, is to help sort of, um, decompose some things, um, to make them a little bit more understandable, um, or to just sort of provide uh, new context to, to, to the way that people think about, about, about something. So, um, one article that I have on there is, um, it, it is all about, uh, oh yeah, there's one. So there's one where I, I sort of relate um, physics to uh, to the forty yard dash at the combine and to um, to other sort of uh, NFL combine events. So you have people running, you have people jumping, um, and all sorts of stuff. Um, and there's some basic concepts of physics, like one is actually work, 
<laughs> um, it, you know, it's the, um, uh, the, the amount of force that is needed to move an object times the distance that you move that object. Very simple thing. Um, but nobody uses that as a, as a way to quantify, you know, Hey, I have somebody who's 300, I have an offensive lineman who's, you know, 360 pounds runs a 40 and this time, and I have a, you know, a defensive back who is, you know, 205 pounds who runs a 40 in this time. What's more impressive? You know, I don't know. And then th th I see some other scores out there that, that sort of take this into consideration. But the way that I approached it was like, hey, there's this thing in physics that exists. It's so easily relatable to the data that you get about the combine. Let's just mix those two things together and have like an actual metric that is quantifiable in, in other things. So I can, so I related, you know, that type of stuff to the horsepower, which is something that a lot of people, oh, I understand horsepower um, in, in a sense, you know, maybe not exactly what it is. Um, I, I dove in and went down that, that rabbit hole of why horsepower is called horsepower and all that sort of stuff. It's like something about like the, like uh, the amount of horses it takes to like lift on a pulley, some box or something like that. I, I may be way off on that, but it's something that was like, I was like, that's weird. But, um, but yeah, it's a very basic physics concept and we're just not relating it to, uh, to a physical phenomenon that we're seeing. So I was like, Hey, let, let's, let, let's quantify that. And so we can help compare the performance of, you know, these different, different types of folks, um, you know, real big linemen versus smaller other players and, and sort of put them on the same scale with something that already exists. So that was um, one interesting um, article that I put together, and um, part of the reason why I haven't been ac active on, on on publishing things there was um, for the last I think two or three years maybe. Um, there's a, a sports analytics site um, that's called NumberFire.com, um, and uh, now, now I think they're called like FanDuel Research. Um, a bunch of great folks there. It, it was awesome. And I was uh, you know, sort of a part-time writer. So I'd come up with like an, an article once or twice a week or a couple times over an off season or something like that. And I'd dive into, you know, um, forecasting sort of, you know, what players to, uh, what players are going to be doing well, what teams are going to win um, and, and sort of using metrics that are a little bit more common to the sports world. Now, things like, like, um, Win, win percentages, you know, win probability, um, expected points, and, and, and all that um, to uh, to sort of help you know inform people. Hey, who should I start in my uh, my fantasy team? What bets are good? You know, if, if only if uh, if sports betting is legal in in, in your area, um, then uh, you know, sort of putting some some analysis behind these um, behind these decisions that you can make. Very cool. Have you ever used mathematical optimization for sports analytics? Uh, I every week. Um, I I built uh, an optimization model for the sole purpose of of um, of building optimal fantasy uh, football teams for for uh, uh, DraftKings. Um, so the important part there is getting the, the. Here's an example of where the importance of machine learning is. So astronomically more important than the importance of mathematical optimization in, in, in this, um, because if you have the right predictions, if your predictions are spot on, then again, there will, it, I'll put it this way to relate to how we're talking about things before. If your predictions, if your, you know, your points forecast for players is 100% correct, then if you optimize your lineups with mathematical optimization, 
no one will beat you, guaranteed. They may be tied off of either their dumb luck or they're also using optimization, but you will guarantee to not lose. Because again, that's part of the the um, the awesomeness of optimization is that guaranteed global, uh, you know, uh, maximum or minimum. So um, so yeah, I do that every week. <laughs> um, you know, so I just need to get get the the points forecast best, you know, get that improved and, and find reliable sources for that. Um, and, and then once I figured that out, then I will never lose again. <laughs> awesome. That's very cool. Uh, it's nice to be, I wasn't, again, this is one of those questions where like, I was like, I don't know, just throwing it out there. <laughs> um, and yeah, cool to see that you're using your day job knowledge to help with, uh, this sports data analyst work. Very cool. Uh, and I know I'm not personally a fantasy sports kind of person, but yeah. I know a lot of people are, and I suspect <laughs> that a lot of people will listen to a data science podcast or into it. Yeah. Uh, so probably have some people now scrambling to, to find your materials on how they can be leveraging mathematical optimization for their own, uh, fantasy sports lineups. Very cool. And, and um, on that, the first, um, uh, notebook example that we put together was optimizing fantasy basketball lineups um, using Groby Pi. So, um, so it's there. You, you know, if you're interested, you can sort of see how it works. See how you know again how constraints that that you read on a website. Like, um, I, I think we may have used FanDuel for that or something. They have like, hey, here's the here's the restrictions on your lineup. You can have this. You need this many players. You can have you need at least one center, one point guard, blah blah blah. But you also have flex positions for any type of guard or any type of player. Those are all you know, telling you the constraints of that model. So you, you take that and then you can put it into the algebra and then you put it back in, and then you put it in the solver and fire it up. So um, so that example exists and you can sort of see how it all works in in the fantasy sports world too. Fantastic, man. Very cool. So beyond the work that uh, you've been doing recently for Garobi uh, as a data science strategist, you've been there for two years now doing that kind of work. Uh, before you got into that, um, you were a senior mathematician and data scientist at Booz Allen Hamilton, more commonly called Booz Allen. And um, yeah, in particular, you were doing a lot of government work, as we kind of alluded to earlier, by you living near Washington, D.C., and yeah, alluding to uh, earlier in the episode to how you lived near Washington, D.C., you were doing a lot of government work in that role at Booz Allen. So working for the DOD, Department of Defense, as well as uh, DHS, the Department, the Department of Homeland Security. Um, so yeah, so I don't know to what extent you can tell us about the kind of work that you were doing there um, or just how you how your career evolved from you know, you did a lot of teaching as well in the past. So you have a bachelor's degree in integrated mathematics education. Um, and so I don't actually even know what that integrated means in there. <laughs> but uh, so that's maybe like a quick one to explain. But, you know, you've taught math and stats at a high school, college, graduate level for many years. And then you got into consulting um, as a senior mathematician and data scientist. And so, yeah, tell us a bit about that journey to where you are now. Uh, particularly as you might not have had, I don't know if there is a traditional path into data science, but you know you have an interesting path into data science that you know some of our listeners uh, might also you know value hearing about. Sure. Yeah. So um, the I the integrated in the bachelor's degree is, is high school. It's, the, it's their way of saying high school math. Uh, um, so uh, so yeah. I mean, 
the, the, my original career goal or my you know trajectory was I was going to be a high school math teacher and uh, coach football or wrestling. Those are two sports that I did in high school. Um, and I was like, this is going to be fun. Um, but realized that um, maybe it wouldn't, while I still love teaching it, you know, at that level, it's, it, it's, it's, it's tough <laughs> for, for a bunch of reasons. And uh, so that I won't get into right now, but um, so then I was like, I still want to teach. Um, so I ended up teaching at a community college um, for a couple of years. Um, and it, it was an awesome experience, um, really helped me refine how I talk about um, math, how I talk about analytics, how I talk about um, uh, all of those topics that people may not be familiar with, because I was teaching a lot of people who um, had very little exposure to it. Um, you know, I may be teaching their first class since, you know, since high school or something like that. So first math class. So um, it really helped me understand how to communicate uh, complex ideas. Um, so then that's why I ended up being a, uh, I think a very good fit in the consulting world is again, you're, that's what you're doing is you're explaining now it's a little bit more of a storytelling, you know, and, and th there's obviously some nuance there, but, you know, being able to be personable and listen and, and take in people's concerns, you know, from an educational perspective, I don't understand this. Can you help me? What does you mean by this? Um, and and then relate that to to clients is a a, a natural transition, um, and and uh, I, I think that worked that worked out very well. Um, I was able to work on a lot of awesome projects. Um, I'll, I'll highlight a couple. Um, one one of which is uh, probably the the longest running project that I worked on was um, for uh, for our cyber you know, cyber acquisition, you know, we have to figure out what do we spend money on and what does it do for us um, in, in, in that space. So um, I was part of a really large team that that built a simulation model that helps figure that out. Um, like, hey, how do I, you know, if I want to do these types of missions um, over the next, you know, year or something like that, what, in, what resources do I need? Who do I need? What do they need to be competent in? Um, and all of that sort of stuff. So we needed to to, to help decide that. Um, and my role there was given a bunch of data about, about how things, you know, about operations and stuff like that. Um, what are those key parameters? You know, how many people do you need for this stuff? How many, how, do, what is this relationship between, you know, uh, this type of mission and, and, uh, the time it takes to complete it based off of X, Y, and Z. So I was just, I, I was sort of just given free reign to, to do anything that I felt I needed to do to, to help, uh, figure, uh, you know, fill in that missing information. So that's where I was able to dive into a lot of unsupervised learning, supervised learning to help, you know, Hey, these missions are similar, or this is the time that it takes on average, or this, here's the regression model that, that, that explains that. Um, so that was a really awesome way of, of, of being able to leverage, leverage those skills. Um, so the, uh, and another example of a really cool project, um, that I was able to work on was, um, for the Coast Guard. And it helped uh, answer a question or in, at least provide some context to uh, the readiness of, of certain types of vessels um, under sort of so, um, uh, under not great conditions. So um, how does a, a, uh, a hurricane hitting in the Gulf affect the readiness of certain vessels to be able to patrol and do their normal day to day on the East Coast? You, you, you don't, you know 
necessarily think that that's super correlated, but it, it is because you know you, you got to send a lot of extra resources to where the the, the more catastrophic event just just hit. So um, so I was able to to work on that from a uh, statistical um, perspective. A lot of a lot of stats there, and and um, if you're a machine learning person who doesn't uh, dive into the statistical world a lot, uh, highly recommend it. There are a lot of great um, um, approaches to, uh, to to use as well. Not everything needs to be XGBoost. There's a lot of really good, real awesome goodness to to, um, to use there. But um, but I was just sort of given free reign to, uh, and, and this was with a lot of projects, sort of given free reign to to figure out the methodology, how to, you know, with this uh, boatload, <laughs> uh, pun intended, of data, um, boatload of data. How do you? Uh, how can we quantify this? How can we, you know, sort of see see what what effect this has, um, sort of on a larger scale when something uh, like a hurricane hits in the Gulf or, or, or other these types of events. So, I was able to use that data, um, and I devised the methodology and was able to use um, a lot of a lot of statistics. I did use some machine learning there for clustering. Um, but I was able to help sort of highlight, hey, this is what happens. This is the impact that this that this, this has. So um, it was a, a real uh, eye opener, I think, to a lot of people, the results. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was, it was just a real it's really cool to be able to work on some of those projects where you have um, where it does have an impact on on things. You know, and it's um, part of the reason why I did like working in in the federal spaces. Um, all you know, all the previous uh, of this episode, we were saying, you know, you know, dollars and cents are the is the bottom line, um, and it's refreshing in the, in that space where it isn't the bottom line. It is you know there are things that you, you incorporate lives saved as a metric that's important. <laughs> you know, so that's really cool to, to end a bit refreshing, um, and, and was definitely motivating for me. Um, and then the last uh, example I'll quickly hit on is uh, it's an example that actually kind of made me um, think about hey maybe I need to. To if I want to do all of the cool things that I know I can do and, and want to do, um, maybe I do need to to you know, look uh, elsewhere for for other types of opportunities. And it was with the you know doing a project. I was leading a project for the U.S. Army where they wanted to understand how their assets degraded over time um, to help them sort of plan budgeting and everything. So it's it's like I have this building or I have this you know uh, it was mainly like structural assets like that. But so I have this building that has this amount of stuff that's wrong with it already. Um, how, what's the condition and what else is, you know, how much worse is it going to get in the next year? Um, so um, we were able to do, um, uh, I, I, like I said, I led a small team to help do that, um, uh, to do that analysis. And, you know, we, we ended up with a, with a real awesome regression model that was pretty good. Um, uh, I can't remember our squares and everything like that, but I think it was in, uh, absurdly high for, for, you know, real world problems. Um, it was in like the point nines and the stuff like that. And I, I, first time I saw it, I'm like, this isn't right. <laughs> That's just not what happens in practice. Um, that happens in textbook examples. Um, but uh, alas, we, 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 we got that, that performance. Um, and it was a real cool project to help them, you know, to help, uh, again, it was, uh, this one was a little bit more narrow in scope. They wanted a linear model, um, to help, uh, so this was like a restriction, you know, they needed to have it that way to implement it in their larger platform for this. 
Um, so we didn't, we weren't able to use, you know, sort of real fancy methods from, from the machine learning perspective. But um, this was a, an example of a project that was scoped um, in such a way and, and scoped properly um, for it to do, to do what it needed to do and, and what the client wanted right away. Um, but there is, if, if I know the, uh, the condition of all of these assets and their importance and things like that, if I know that for next year, it's a very easy decision problem, or it's a difficult decision problem to to figure out where should I invest and what that you know and what impact that's going to have. But that's an optimization problem. I have a budget of money, a bucket of money that I can spend on these things and uh, to improve them or not improve them and let them go. Um, and I was like, this is a perfect case for optimization. And since the project was scoped in such a way, it was just. Um, it wasn't something we could do. Uh, and, and I was just like, this is kind of frustrating because it is what it is at that point. But, um, uh, but I, I wanted to do that. Hey, let's take uh, a machine learning model and use that output as an input to an optimization model to help inform decision making. And, and it's just, it, it was, it was uh, pushing a boulder uphill to sort of get that going. Um, and it eventually it, it never, it never uh, materialized. So I, you know, it's a little, it's a little disheartening. And, and I wanted to really use my, uh, by that point, I was, uh, I did several optimization projects that I didn't mention. Um, but um, uh, yeah, I was, I wanted to combine the two. I was like, this is, this is, this is the way. <laughs> um, uh, and, and it just wasn't, it, it was just hard to get that going. Um, so th that's why I sort of was like, yeah, hey, maybe, maybe I need to get, gather other experiences to help sort of uh, to, to sort of plow that forward. And, um, and actually after I was, uh, after I left, left Booz Allen, I, I worked for a really small, but really awesome consulting company called On Location where they're in the energy space. So I was able to use my optimization chops by tailoring, um, optimization models to, to sort of see how certain policies will affect stuff. So it was, it was also really cool to, to work on some of those problems. And, and one project there was with, um, uh, renewable energy. How does expanding our renewable energy? How does that affect the the rest of uh, our energy sort of resources uh, and what we would use and what would be most cost effect effective? So, um, uh, so yeah, that was um, my 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 time as a as a federal contractor. Nice, very cool, Jerry. Well, it's been a fascinating path so far. You've been doing terrific work, and yeah, can't wait to see what happens next. Um, thanks so much for filling us in on mathematical optimization in this episode. Uh, seriously, as I've said at least once in this episode already, <laughs> I've learned a ton. This is a completely, this is uh, terra nova for me, new ground. And uh, yeah, really exciting to have this screwdriver in my belt. Before I let you go, I always ask our guests for a book recommendation. Do you have one for us? Yeah, um, and I'm going to cheat a little bit here and do two. Um, since, and part of the reason I want to do too is because again, like, as you said, this is a super new topic to probably a lot of your listeners. Um, and so I do want to recommend, um, something that's a little bit more textbooky, so it's not as fun. Um, but it is a great book to help you understand the use cases for mathematical optimization and, and, and get the basics down. Um, it's called model building in mathematical programming by H Paul Williams. And it's, it, it it's. What's different about this book is it's 
it, it, it focuses on the, the use case. It focuses on the problem. So it, it's really easy to sort of understand like all it was harping on for the whole time. This is like, hey, you have this, this verbal or written problem and then you have the, the algebra and then you have the code. It focuses this it doesn't focus so much on the code, but it has a lot of the first two. Um, so it's a great resource um, to to learn. Um, and, and I think it would be the, the, the best place um, for someone who wanted to get like something that's a more instructional book um, to, to, to learn about mathematical optimization. Um, now, the fun book that I really like is um, it's called uh, Zero, um, the Orange It. The Origins of a Dangerous Idea. I had to make sure I wrote that down. Um, and it's it's very interesting because uh, one of my favorite classes in, in undergrad was number theory. Um, for whatever reason, it's, a, it's, it's a hitting a nail with a sledgehammer to make high school math teachers understand number theory. Um, but I loved it. It was awesome. Um, and it just sort of, um, through that through the study of that, that, that course and also uh, a mathematic a history of mathematics course that I had to take, um, which was also super awesome. Um, y- you sort of learn about the, you know, how, how these systems developed, you know, when the first person to understand numbers didn't say, Oh, well we have zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And let's write them as these digits. You know, it took thousands of years to get where we are um, with, with how we talk about numbers. Um, and one of the interesting things is that zero did not exist for a long, long, long time. Um, and the first several number systems, zero wasn't a thing. It, you know, it, it, I can ask you to write um, write zero in Roman numerals. You're just going to be like, well, I, I can't. <laughs> exactly. They didn't have zero. The concept of zero was at best just sort of vaguely, it's vaguely there. Um, so uh, this book goes through like the origins of like where, when it came about, um, who um, sort of brought the idea around it, um, the symbols that they're using, how they were going about it, um, how it spread across, you know, it, it was, it originated, um, like in India, um, I think around the fifth century or so. Um, and then it wasn't until like the 12th century, um, in which it became sort of this thing that people accepted in Europe. Um, so it, it's a, just an interesting tale about that, how the, you know, how people, thought about zero from a philosophical perspective. Um, and, and that gets into like the, the dangerous sort of subtext there is that um, it was met with resistance and it sort of was, you know, this challenged thing because it also represented things like, um, like non-existence, you know, and it's sort of like, that's a, you know, when you sort of, you know, think about things in, in a more uh, uh, broader context of, of life, <laughs> um, nothingness is like, oh, it's kind of sad, you know, <laughs> or in a sense, you know, it, it, so it's like, it, it's a very interesting book because it hits on how this, this, this invention, which zero is an invention that it wasn't always there. And when it became there and became accepted that it had like this, you know, this sort of real cultural and, and philosophical impact. So um, highly recommend it. Um, and it, it was a great read. Fascinating. Great book recommendations, Jerry. Thank you so much for that. Uh, if people want to get either your fun math insights or your uh, mathematical optimization insights, uh, what's the best way for them to follow you after this episode? Sure. Yeah. So um, I am on uh, threads at Math with Jerome. Um, also, um, uh, the platform formerly known as Twitter. 
uh, as Math with Jerome, um, my website, mathwithjerome.com, um, and uh, also have a, a GitHub repository, GitHub repository um, under the same name. It's it's bare bones right now, but if you want to see how I did the uh, 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 fantasy optimization, I have that posted there and a couple other things as well. Um, so that's how to to reach out to me. Um, you can also reach out to me directly to my work email, which is um, yurchison at garobi.com. So that's Y-U-R-C-H-I-S-I-N at garobi.com. Um, and then to get into like the stuff that, that Garobi has put together, um, follow us um, again at Garobi. Um, and LinkedIn is probably the best way for um, for folks to get in touch with both of us as well. Math with Jerome at, at for LinkedIn for me and Garobi for uh, uh, the Garobi company. Um, and once you're in there, um, I'd say the, the best place to go website wise would be Garobi.com slash learn. Um, and there's a whole bunch of resources, a bunch of stuff I didn't get into today um, to, to, to learn more about that. And uh, specifically the burrito optimization game is something I want to quickly plug because um, it is a great way to understand the complexity of optimization and, the, and, and how it's an awesome decision-making tool. And it's also um, there for a competition for folks who just listen to, to this episode. Um, you can, you know, uh, and, and also in ad reads and stuff like that. If you go to groby.com slash SDS, um, you can get into to all that as well. If there's a competition for how well you can optimize without an optimizer. Um, so it's a game that you can't win, which is kind of sad, but you can see how well you can do to getting close to optimal. Nice. And uh, when people go to that URL, garopi.com slash SDS, that brings them to like a leaderboard of just super data science listeners, right? Uh, it's, it's a way to, you won't see a leaderboard right away, but what you can do is, you know, you have to register for the game and play, um, in a championship mode. So, um, you'll see, once you click on the, the website for the burrito game, you'll see, um, uh, a championship mode, um, sort of, uh, sign click on that. There's a, you enter your, your alias name and then the top boxes for a, 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 a championship code put in super data science, all lowercase, all one word. Um, and then um, then you can see the leaderboard um, once you click on that super data science tag on the left-hand side. So um, that's a really good idea. What I'm gonna do is add how to do that um, to that site so you can really see what's going on. Um, so I, it's a great way to understand, learn optimization. Um, and, and once you get it a little bit and you need to explain it, have people play this game because um, it's fun and and uh, really helps you understand the complexity. Nice. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jerry, for taking the time with us and opening our minds to the screwdriver. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been a fascinating episode, so maybe we can catch up with you again in the future. Yeah, that would be great. Um, it was awesome for me to to, to be on and uh, love the podcast and everything and, and uh, would, yeah, happy, happy to be back on at some point. Nice. All right. Catch you soon, Jerry. Thanks. Nice. I'm delighted to have a screwdriver in my data science tool belt now. In today's episode, Jerry filled us in on how relative to machine learning and statistical modeling, mathematical optimization is more for taking action, things like decision intelligence. He also told us about how the constraints in mathematical optimization guarantee real world feasibility and unlike ML, 
Mathematical optimization guarantees a globally optimal solution. He filled us in on the three categories of ways that machine learning and mathematical optimization complement each other to be extra powerful, how the Gurobi mathematical optimization solver can be called from all the programming languages that data scientists use most, including Python through the GuroPy library, as well as R, MATLAB, C, Bash, and more. And he left us with the tutorials and Jupyter notebooks he has put together so that you can learn about mathematical optimization yourself hands-on today. As always, you can get all the show notes, including the transcript for this episode, the video recording, any materials mentioned on the show, the URLs for Jerry's social media profiles, as well as my own at superdatascience.com slash 723. After recording today's episode with Jerry, I did play Garobi's burrito optimization game. And so you can head to garobi.com slash SDS to play it yourself as well and set out burrito trucks all over a fun city with building names like Linear Regression Psychology Services, Relu Realty, and the Multimodal Distribution Center. Um, so your goal in this game over the course of five fictional days, each with kind of different um, characteristics, different constraints, I suppose, is to optimize your burrito truck locations to maximize your in-game profits. I was able to earn $12,105 worth of profits in the game. (laughs) Um, And those are obviously not real dollars, but if you head to garobi.com slash SDS, you can compete against me on the leaderboard. You can see if you can beat that total that I got to. You can see how well Um, a perfect mathematical optimization would perform against you as well. And you can win real life dollars. Um, So there's a couple hundred bucks in Amazon gift certificates available to the top three super data science listeners. Again, that's garobi.com slash SDS. All right, thanks to my colleagues at Nebula for supporting me while I create content like this super data science episode for you. And thanks of course to Ivana, Mario, Natalie, Serge, Sylvia, Zara, and Kirill on the super data science team for producing another wicked episode for us today. You can support this show by checking out our sponsors' links, by sharing, by reviewing, by subscribing, but most of all, just by continuing to tune in. I'm so grateful to have you listening, and I hope I can continue to make episodes you love for years and years to come. Until next time, keep on rocking it out there, and I'm looking forward to enjoying another round of the Super Data Science Podcast with you very soon.